0: Welcome to Access Utah, I'm Tom Williams. Today we're presenting our fifth live episode of Debunked. It's the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to challenge the stereotypes and debunk the myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. And today we once again welcome in Debunked host Don Lyons. Don, uh, great to have you with us again. Thanks for joining us. Hey Tom,
1: great to be with you.
0: Good uh, good to have you with us. I think you're uh, going to uh, to welcome in our guests.
1: Yeah, I think so. Another great episode today, uh, Tom. We have some wonderful guests here. Uh, we have uh, Mary Jo. Mary Jo, are you, are you with us?
2: I am. Happy to be here. Hey,
1: Mary Jo. Good morning. And then we have uh, Shanti. Shanti, are you with us?
3: I am. Good morning, sir.
1: All right. Good morning. Oh, don't call me sir. You make me feel old. You <laughs> call me Don. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for joining, uh, Mary Jo and Ashanti. Um, like Tom said, we're building off a, a myth here. We're looking at debunk this myth, and it's kind of a robust one. Um, but, Ashanti, I, I want to start with yourself. Um, and we're looking at debunking the indigenous and non-indigenous groups that they can't work together and solve issues. Um, so, Ashanti, before we dive into the questions there, uh, could you give the viewers some background on yourself?
3: Yeah, of course. So, my name is Ashanti. I work for the Skull Valley Band of Go-Shoots located here in Utah, um, more more so in, like, the Tooele County. I'm also the Business Development Director for Warrior Spirit. We are a um, Native American treatment facility. We practice Native American beliefs and And that's how we walk people through the 12 Steps of Healing. Um, We also are affiliated with White Bison, which is um, the founder of WellBriety. And I am just an advocate for our community, um, for our communities as Native people. And I'm just so grateful to be here and on the podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, thanks, Ashanti. I'm glad you're here and got some, uh, great background and, and Will Brady does some incredible work, uh, throughout Indian country there. Don Coyes and Kateri. So that's awesome. Um, Ashanti, I want to start with yourself. And when you, when we think about this myth, right, that indigenous and non-indigenous group groups cannot work together to solve social problems. What are some first reactions, first thoughts, uh, that come to mind when you, when you hear this myth?
3: Um, When I hear this myth, I hear there is a big, like, unknown of a cultural gap. So being Native myself and being raised, you know, I'd spend my summers with my family in Alaska, and then I would, you know, spend the school years um, not on or near my reservation. So, So I hear, like, this myth that goes back way until I'm, like, five or six years old is that you can't reach Native Americans or that they don't have an understanding or they they don't have a desire to work with people on or off the tribes, right? So any type of government agency, any type of, you know, that there's just like, oh, you can't talk to them. I hear that a lot. I, I see it in, our, in my profession today is that, well, how do you even communicate with the tribes, or how do you get in front of the tribe? Or there's just this this myth that we don't want to work with the communities, and that we don't want to, you know, um, be connected and try and solve problems that come up or that were unreachable. And you know, for me, it is because of deepest desires while walking this or earth and walking the red road myself is that I want to build those bridges. I want to be that person that is approachable and connected and open and willing to listen and hear from both sides where are the gaps, what are we missing, where are the cracks, and how do we problem solve those. So, you know, for me, it's a myth that just has probably been around for a really, really long time is that we're unapproachable. We don't want to help, that we don't want to be connected, that we're not willing to utilize resources. And and for me, I see it completely different. The tribe that I work for is very involved in the community, is, is very involved in what we can do to better not only our county, but the state, and how we can connect with other tribes to do so, how we can connect with non-natives in all the entities, the hospitals, the behavioral services around the area, how do we get in there, how do we make it so that everybody knows that we're in this and doing these things together?
1: Right on. Thanks, Ashanti. I'm going to go to Mary Jo here in a second, but I want to stay with you, Shanti, because you hit on some really... Really good point. I want to kind of dive just a little bit in here because I think this myth is, it's a robust one, right? It's, it's, there's elements of historical trauma that, uh, the residue of the historical trauma, federal policies and, and different things that, uh, both sides have to kind of wade through, especially working in systems and services. And, you know, I had an elder tell me that we're all in the same boat, you know, so we got to find ways to work together and understand each other. Uh, but Shanti, speaking from your perspective, you know, as an Indigenous person, working with communities, grassroots, different organizations, tribal nations, urban organizations, when you're interacting with non-Indigenous groups and systems, you know, how do you, if you can just share with the audience, how do you approach that? You know, what are some uh, things that you think about to, to kind of have a productive and useful uh, partnership?
3: Um. So... For me, I like to do a lot of community and opening the Native traditions and things that we do, like the powwows and providing um, outreach for our youth and being able to bring those together and making it very open, very public, like this is who we are, this is what we're doing, and, and make it so the whole community can see it and see us working together and provide spaces for our youth to work together, you know, like in school, like how do they get engaged? Because not all of our youth go, you know, with Natives. It's not a Native school. It's a everybody's school. It's all of our children's school. And to be able to participate and to really emphasize, like, these are our stories, this is who we are, this is our culture, have cultural dances and performances, and it's everybody's invited. And be able to bring that piece, it's not like forced, like this is who I am, these are people that are invited and willing to participate. You know, and so so I see a lot of that in our community. And then we have um, at the Urban Indian Walk-In Center, they have like, art for sale on Fridays. I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but that is a huge piece because it brings a huge part of our culture. That's where we speak from is our heart, and we put it into our artwork that we do with our hands and our minds, and, you know, it's shared from generation to generation, and, and then it's open for everybody to come in and to buy and to have that piece that. Piece of our story. It's a piece of our culture. It's a piece of our history, and they and they can come in and purchase it from beadwork to paintings to all sorts of different beautiful art pieces.
1: Yeah, thanks, Asha. Yeah, you're speaking to creating a sense of belonging and really see each other's humanity, you know, and uh, and then starting from a common place and, and working through. There's definitely going to be differences along the way, but understanding. Uh, each other in a sense of belonging. Uh, Mary Jo, I want to bring you into the conversation here and I uh, appreciate you being on. And uh, before I, I'm going to ask you the similar questions that I asked to Shanti from your perspective. Uh, but before we dive in there, Mary Jo, could you give some background on yourself to the audience? Hey, Mary Jo, you might be on mute there.
2: I was sorry. I didn't. I didn't want to hear have you hear me gulping coffee.
1: Sorry. <laughs> uh, no problem. You need the coffee, though. I'm glad you're taking the drink. Uh, but go ahead, Mary
2: Jo. Good. So good morning. Yeah. So um, I, my name is Mary Jo McMillan, and I am the executive director of USARA, and that is the Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness, and we are a um, nonprofit. Um, peer-run organization, and we started back in 2006. I became the director in 2010, and our mission really is to connect and inspire communities to advocate prediction recovery. And um, what we see in Utah is, and and I think with recovery community, is a connection um, that we recognize as being one of the most valuable assets for people to recover from um, drug and alcohol addiction, and I am a woman in long-term recovery myself. I've been in recovery since September of 1985, and have um, also um, been very active in substance use disorder treatment. I'm a licensed substance use counselor, and have been doing this work for about 30, oh, 33, going on 34 years, and um, very, very passionate about supporting people in recovery and and uh the people who support others to find recovery. And um and uh Noah Shante and Met Ashante I think um uh we met about three years ago and um have um definitely watched her um in the arena of her advocacy. So I'm also an advocate and um any kind of um Things that we're looking about groups working together is is of interest and importance to me.
1: Uh, thanks, Major. Thanks for the work uh, that you do as well. And Major, from your perspective, being a, a non-indigenous person, you know, interacting with with the systems and communities and folks, um, what are some initial thoughts and feelings that come to mind for you when you hear that myth? You know, the indigenous and non-indigenous, they can't work together. They can't solve problems together. What? What uh, comes up for you?
2: Well, I, I, think, I think it's something that uh, I think the myth happens because we're not addressing it. We don't talk about it. Um, uh, the, what I would say uh, that it would be a myth. But I think what happens is there's this um, um, non-effort sometimes. It's, it's, there's perhaps passivity on uh, non-Indigenous people. Um, and the myth might be, yeah, that they, that they don't want to have us, uh, non-Indigenous people, um, interfere with Native American um, culture or approaches. And I think it's, it's really just non-effort. And um, so the myth just continues that we can't work together or that, that it's best for uh, Indigenous people to work, you know, amongst each other and non-Indigenous uh, people just stay um, uninvolved, and it, it's we're all battling um, in, in, in what we're talking about today, addiction. You know, and stigma among um, uh, among you know our human our human communities, um, and so I believe there's stigma. You know, with addiction in the indigenous community and the non-indigenous community. So I also think when you're working with um, with people who have uh, a cultural background different than your own, if I don't know about it, I just don't bring it up, you know, and and I think that that's, that's too bad. I mean, we, we have missed opportunities, lots of opportunities.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Mary Jo. There's, there's levels of readiness, you know, understanding each other, individuals' levels of readiness and Various systems and uh, agencies levels of ready, uh, readiness to engage in conversations. Mary Jo, I can stay with you for um, a second here, then I'll pass them to uh, Tom here for the next set of questions. But Mary Jo, from your perspective, uh, you know, being a non-Indigenous person, I wonder if you can share just personally when you're what what things do you think about when you're working with a um, Indigenous community? You know, folks, is there what hesitancy, if any? that come up for you or some questions, I think, you know, you be able to share with the audience here, uh, I think, you know, would be helpful to kind of break down this myth.
2: Um, Well, maybe one of the first things that I start with is is really more of my own personal experience because I think that's something I can speak from. um, uh, uh, Absolutely. Um, In my personal experience, in my early recovery, actually, I moved to Utah. Um, when I was uh, a year into my own recovery, and um, was a person who was active in, um, in 12-step groups. and um, But there was a lack of, of connection in a spiritual way. And so uh, I actually met some people who were um, involved with some Native American um, uh, practices and uh, from... Um, uh, sweat lodges to um, even a vision quest. And um, that was the first I had ever been introduced to anything cultural. And at, at that time I was, uh, I would say, 26 years old. So not really having other than um, uh, known about Native Americans, but had not culturally ever been introduced to anything. And um, for me, I found it very, um, very spiritually um, I immediately connected spiritually. And I think spirituality is truly one of those things that we kind of let people, you know, figure out themselves when I think introducing something might be more helpful, especially people with addiction recovery. And so I pursued it on a very individual basis, but I didn't see it connected in any of the, you know, much in the treatment programs or the work that I was doing. Um, other than my own, you know, my own experience. And again, when you're a counselor, I mean, you go by evidence-based practice, and there's things that you do. And you don't necessarily introduce something unless you have the opportunity um, with an individual. And so, if I was working with an individual who was Native American, I would absolutely um, bring up. Um, uh Have they ever been introduced to material that was specific to a Native American? and of course, um, when I uh, was looking as a counselor for what was available, I did get uh, the opportunity to learn more about uh, red uh, white bison and the work um, the book that they wrote, Red Road to Wellbriety. And I found it um, actually um, so you know, Incredibly important when I was working with a Native American person, though I did not know much about it myself. I could introduce them and give them a resource that uh, a place that they could connect to. So I thought that that was critical, um, and um, that was that was really probably the primary way that that I connected them. And then also in Salt Lake City, um, the uh, Indian Urban Center. And then um, I just I think that there were a few resources, but where I could connect somebody, those would be the things that I would do.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mary Jo. Yeah, I think our experiences impact our perspective, you know, which you shared, you know, starting from a personal level. And if you don't have those experiences, uh, working with Indigenous communities um, or being exposed to it in education, right, there's a, there's a high lack of education about the First Peoples of this land. You know, the number of tribes today as we stand here, there's close to 600 fairly recognized tribes. And so we're talking, what does that mean? You know, they're they're sovereign entities. And so there's a whole host of uh, systems that we have to work through. But I like how you're approaching it and speaking from perspective and connecting people. And that's what great uh, listeners and helpers and counselors and advocates do uh, for folks. So thanks for that, Major. I think we're going to come back to you, but... I'm going to pass the reins over to uh, Tom to take us through the next
0: couple questions. Thanks, Don. And, in fact, we're uh, we're due for a break. Let's take our first station break, and then we'll uh, launch into those questions. Uh, if you just joined us, you're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and uh, I'm joined today as we're doing a live episode of the uh, podcast Debunked, joined by the podcast uh, host, uh, Don Lyons. And we're also joined by Murray Jo McMillan of USARA and Ashanti Moritz of Warrior Spirit, uh, and we're debunking the myth indigenous and non-indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems. So we go out here just give some credits. The debunked podcast was created by the Utah State University Office of Health Equity and Community Engagement and the Tribal and Rural Opioid Initiative, which are focused which are housed rather within the USU M. Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services, Department of Kinesiology and Health Science, and USU Extension. And the program is made possible by SAMHSA. Uh, Utah Public Radio and Community Partners. So we'll have much more following this break.
4: Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Cache Valley ENT and the Allergy Clinic. Introducing Dr. Zach Robinette, specializing in cochlear implants and surgical alternatives to CPAP for sleep apnea. Locations in Logan and Providence. Information at CacheValleyENT.com. Support also comes from Auto Evolution, owned and operated by Ron Stag, keeping Cache Valley Automobiles on the road for more than 20 years, with service, repair, and maintenance. Located at 347 West Airport Road in North Logan. Information is available by calling 435-753-2521. Hey,
0: it's Francis Lam, host of The Splendid Table. This week we spend the hour with the one, the only, Martin Yan. For 40 years, the host of Yan Ken Cook has brought Chinese and Asian cuisines into the homes of Americans We we'll talk with him about his life and journey. It's coming up on The Splendid Table. Tune
1: in Sunday at noon here on Utah Public Radio.
4: I'm Jasmine Mesa, one of the bilingual reporters at Utah Public Radio. This year we have been working on increasing the diversity of voices you hear on UPR, and that is where I come in. I produce new stories in Spanish each week, and right now I've been reporting a lot of COVID-19, but as things continue to open up, I will be reporting on community events and other resources. Tune in on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. to listen to my stories in Spanish and visit upr.org to read them in English.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah Today. I'm Tom Williams. We're presenting another live episode of the podcast, Debunked. It's the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to challenge the stereotypes and debunk the myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. And we have with us debunked host Don Lyons. We also are talking with Mary Jo McMillan, Executive Director of USARA, that's Utah Support Advocates for Recovery Awareness. And Ashanti Moritz is with us, uh, Outreach Director for the Skull Valley Band of Ghost Shoots Warrior Spirit Recovery Center. And we're debunking the myth, indigenous and non-indigenous groups can't work together to solve Social problems. So, in this segment, let me start with you, Ashanti. Um, How has this myth impacted your work? Do, Do we have you with us, Ashanti?
3: Yes, can you hear me?
0: Uh, yes, yes, we can hear you now. Yes. Uh, oh, so, uh, Sorry so, the, so, yeah, so the question is, uh, with this myth, indigenous and non-indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems. Uh, how, is the, uh, how has this myth impacted your work?
3: I believe that, that that's a great question. So, if anything, I feel like it has given me more of a desire and more of a drive to to kind of build bridges and to open up and communicate and advocate and be, um, I guess, like the squeaky wheel to try and get as much information gathered myself and be able to share it across the board. I, I was in, um, I think it's like the... We are Utah Youth Initiative is what it's called, and we gather collectively as a community and we, we sit together, and and I started noticing, like, there's these boxes of information and data gathered, you know, for our youth along the, the school lines, and the boxes were, like, black, and I'm looking at the keys trying to figure things out, like, okay, the dots mean this and the the little lines in the box mean that, but there's nothing for what a black box means. And in me being me and extremely curious as to why the boxes were black, I, I raised my hand and I'm like, well, how come these boxes are black? And they tell me, well, that's because there hasn't been communication with any of the tribes in the surrounding area, you know, for a number of years. So there's actually been no data collected. And I was stunned and and baffled. And I was like, Well this is this is interesting. So what do you mean there's no no communication? How what is that like us on our end as as, you know, the Utah education board or is this just because, you know, the reservations like what what tell me what that means? And they were like, Well, we just don't have anybody that can go in between And to collect this data and I'm like, well, are you emailing people? Are you calling people? Like what what how do we fix this? And from that moment on, I think that was about four years ago, from that moment on, it has become like this personal passion of mine that we really just open up all of our lines of communication and just be as open as possible. So when I find information out, it's like my job to gather and communicate and bring people together. I think that that is one of the biggest parts of my job or in my career is bringing people together to communicate and see what we can do along, along these lines to make sure that there's, that there's no more of these black-shaded boxes where there's no data collected so that our children can have the same resources as everybody else so that we can find out where the bridges need to be and who who starts building those bridges and to bring that into places like the colleges and the universities and the high school students so that they know like, hey, this is what I do to communicate. This is how our voices get heard, our needs get met, this is this is how we start doing that. And that's, that's really important. It's very, you know, like that is how we come together and live in this community in more unity, I believe.
0: And, and a follow-up question, expanding this, uh, how does this myth that Indigenous and non-Indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems, how does this impact uh, tribal groups?
3: So um, how would that impact tribal groups? So to me, it makes, um, for me, my, you know, how I see things, it would it would be like, oh, well, you know, why can't we work together? What is it? You know, and it, it becomes like we've tried for many years. I've heard the state say that. We've tried for many years to build these bridges, to make these connections. We can't find ways to communicate, and, and I'm— and it just kind of baffles me as to what Natives are seen like, like what are our executive committees seen like? What are the people that are, you know, the heads of the tribe or the face of the tribe? Like how are we being perceived if, if it's like, oh, we can't communicate with you? I see so much effort within the tribes and within our tribal communities from Washington state to this state where we are doing everything to be allowed and to be heard and to be approachable and to bring cultural awareness into education, like bringing our languages back, having time where we do um, language classes, having that be implemented in and around the school. Um, For me in Utah, I have a child who's in elementary school and I get newsletters constantly of like, hey, this is what we're doing. We're going to have this cultural night and we're going to focus on this language and we're going to focus on These types of traditions this night, and I think they they do about something every two weeks, so about two times in a month. But I, I make sure I always respond, and I make sure I do the surveys, like, how did you like this? How did your kid engage in this? What did they not like out of this? What can we do better? And I think it's really important as an Indigenous person, Native person in our community that when we're given these opportunities to talk about what what works and what doesn't, that we jump on it. That's why... This podcast is so important. This is a huge opportunity to bring awareness and to bring connection to our community where we're, we're talking about things that matter, our cultural aspects, um, communication. You know, when you give feedback, you have to be really open to receiving it, I believe. So now we're open. To receiving and we're open to giving it and now we need to build places where we can do that.
0: We'll direct the next couple of questions to, uh, to Mary Jo with uh, with USAR of course. Uh, so similar question to you, how has this myth impacted your work?
2: Oh Well, well uh, first thing that you know comes to mind you know I, I, I've been an advocate for the last 10 years and um, if uh, a lot of times what happens is we, um, well, most of the time, um, what I see is that um, we don't have uh, someone who's Native at the table all the time. Uh, you know, so I'm, a, I'm an advocate at the table when we're discussing addiction, but it's, it, it, the focus is on, you know, for me as an advocate, reducing stigma um, uh, about people with addiction. But then what starts to happen is you start, you know, I, I, uh, a lot of administrators are at the table, but we don't ask the leaders of uh, culturally diverse uh, groups. And, you know, some of what I think happens is we say, oh, well, now we have so many people at the table, how are we going to get anything done? Um, and, and you know, so it, it becomes, the, so what happens sometimes is the, the table becomes narrow. And as an advocate, I have to keep... I make sure that I'm there. I think what has, is starting to impact me in my work is I'm, I'm starting to see who's not there. Um, you know, and again, after 10 years, you know, it's it's I'm I'm paying attention to it. So, you know, I think I've been working so hard just on um, uh, people with addiction that. Uh, what is needed is now to start looking at culturally who's not there. And so the last, I would say, in, two, uh, in 2020, um, there is a group that um, has started, um, it's a state division of substance use and mental health services that's supported by our state uh, division is um, a group uh, that is called uh, Curry. A lot of people don't know about it yet. It's Communities United for Racial and Ethnic Integration and Equity. And um, it was, uh, so we have uh, different, um, uh, diverse uh, populations in Utah that are part of that group to help inform the state about what's missing. Um, And I would say in substance use treatment, you know, we, we, we serve a large white population a lot of low-income people. um, But what we leave out is the cultural diversity that needs to be addressed. Uh, A lot of times we don't have the clinicians with the kind of cultural diverse background. And so we, we kind of just do status quo treatment. We don't do as much as we can. And unless you have an advocate or a leader within your organization, it just doesn't happen. And I think what And that that can continue for a long time. So what I what I'm what what's being affected for me is seeing somebody like Ashante who is so passionate and so important. And as an advocate who's already at the table, I want to make sure that Ashante's there too. So that can be my role in my work is to make sure that when issues are being discussed about addiction addiction and recovery, that I bring people who are culturally. Um, informed, um, because I'm not about the indigenous community, but Ashante is, so she needs to be there. And so my work would be to make sure that um, that uh, people, um, people who have the experience are there at the table.
0: And uh, Mary jo, a, a related question, how does this myth, again the myth is indigenous and non-indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems, how does this myth impact rural communities?
2: Um, I think I think probably the same. I think um, in rural communities, it's like people kind of keep to themselves. Um, uh, that you know that um, the the myth um, being that you know um, I, again I think what Ashante said that that they they, they want to take care of this problem themselves. And um, again, if there's not the numbers, um, they may not come together. And I think stigma with substance use. Is even um, more uh, significant. Most people with substance use who have gotten a, any kind of uh, service um, for uh, drug or alcohol addiction, mental health, um, have come through the public system. And um, I think a lot of times it's like, well, the tribe takes care of it themselves. So I, that's not. That's. I don't know that that um, is true, and that's just it. Is it true or is it not true? And so sometimes I think we just are passive, once again. We don't ask enough questions. And I know we're starting as um, our organization has a grant. We're going to start connecting with people um, in San Juan, which is a targeted area where we do have um, indigenous people. So it's going to be important for us to start to make those connections and start to ask, how can we help? Uh, uh you build addiction recovery community in um in your indigenous community
0: very good um Don I think we're due for another break so let's take another break and then uh, then we'll have you uh you know launch in the next uh, section here um so uh you're listening to access UTime time Williams and uh, this is a live episode of the podcast debunked. And we're debunking the myth, indigenous and non-indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems. We have with us uh, the podcast host, Don Lyons, and uh, we uh, also have Mary Jo uh, McMillan with USARA and Ashanti Moritz with Warrior Spirit. We'll be back following this.
4: Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Sunset Valley Mortuary, presenting a night like no other Veterans Benefit concert to raise mental health awareness. Bring a chair and enjoy music, food, and entertainment August 27th at Elkridge Park in North Logan from 6 to 9 p.m. Information available on Facebook slash Off Center Band. Support also comes from Spirit Goat Soap, offering a variety of handcrafted soaps, balms and bath products, including sensitive skin and men's products. Gift and shaving sets available located at 28 Federal Avenue in Logan. Information at spiritgoat.com
3: Next time on LA Theatre Works, Kate Burton and Matthew
0: Rees honour the centenary of Welsh poet Dylan Thomas in our brand new production of his famed Play for Voices.
4: The shops in mourning, the welfare hall in widow's weeds, and all People of the lulled and dumbfound town are sleeping now. Under
2: Milkwood by Dylan Thomas. Next time
4: on LA Theatre Works.
1: Friday night at 9 here on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today, it's another live episode of the podcast Debunked. It's the only Utah podcast combining evidence-based health practices with storytelling to challenge the stereotypes and debunk the myths about harm reduction, substance use disorders, and homelessness. And we're talking with Debunked host Don Lyons, also Mary Jo McMillan with USARA and Ashanti Moritz with Warrior Spirit. So uh, Don, uh, take it away, this next section.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. This is a great conversation and I, and I wish we had more time because I think this can dive into uh, a lot of different areas and, and build traction. But I want to start kind of shifting to some actionable take home items, uh, for the audience out there listening. And this conversation is building off our first live episode, which we, we talked about, you know, non-indigenous groups moving beyond the, the allyship and going to, to coal conspirator, uh, aspects. And you know, for purposes of uh, this conversation where we were talking about co-conspirators is someone who understands the uh, inequalities and inequities uh, in the systems and also the impacts of historical trauma uh, and how that affects uh, communities to today, and uh, you know, folks who want to work alongside with um, Indigenous communities. Um, So we're thinking about you know, how do we shift from just being an ally and advocate, maybe placing the sign in, in front of your house? Uh, but what what does that really mean when you put actionable things around there? Um, so, Ashanti, I want to I want to go to you, and I think this this is a a good opportunity, you know, from a share from your perspective, and uh, and think about as a citizen of a tribal nation, as an Indigenous person, as an American Indian. There's multiple names. <laughs> that uh is given to us and we put on ourselves um but from your perspective there and working with non-indigenous groups um what what would be some advice for those non-indigenous groups uh, maybe those individuals uh in those systems how can they come beyond the allyship to a co-conspirator someone that's working alongside you um and you know healing and and uh working so what, what would be some advice um some best qualities or characteristics uh, that you could share.
3: Great question. Um, I I really I really like this question because advice. If I if I were to be able to share a piece of advice, it would be to take the time to um, to one. Kind of embrace the differences by going online, by looking at the surrounding area of where you are, and almost get familiar with um, with the tribes in your area, with with the with what their names are. You know, like. Our tribe serves Tooele County. Tooele is a go-shoot word. I don't know if a lot of people know that, that even live in Tooele, but to know, you know, that cultural part, that little bit of history of, of why the counties are named what they are, why the areas and the rivers and the parks are named what they are, that you would feel more connected than ever before to know that you're in you know tribal land tribal areas and that there's more of a history to it and then another another great point would be exactly what Mary Jo said like make room at that table for all different cultures and aspects to have a seat there and to know know deeply what their needs are to to invite that to be spoken about in a conversation um and to really be able to like there's this expression it's like take the cotton or something and put it put it in your take it from your ears and put it in your mouth so that you are listening and you are open openly listening with an open heart to to what people need, you know like to pow to drum music, to the flute, to what dream catchers mean, the different rocks and the stones and the colors and what that mean, the medicine wheel or the wellness wheel and and what that means, you know, and, and the more that you take the time to educate or yourself or to even look into and be curious about it, you'd be surprised at how much of the culture is already embedded into the community. And I, and I think that is, you know, if I were to give any advice it, and it would be, and to know that, that there is a bunch of historical trauma, that there is, you know, um, there are proper names and to know why, you know, mascots are offensive and, and why we don't call our regalia costumes, you know, and to not call a powwow a fair, you know, that these are the differences. Like the the powwow is a spiritual place. The fair is where we gather to go have fun, you know, and to show different things that we've worked on, a harvest, you know, and, and to be proud of those things. A powwow is where we gather together and, you know, we're dancing for one another and we're celebrating in, in the different um and the different elements of life. So, <clears throat> I mean, just to know the little things and to be able to word things um, a little bit different, take the time and, and really learn the names of the parks and the places of where you live, I mean, you would have a huge... It would be so eye-opening if, if we could talk about these things in school even, or, you know, just just stuff like that, I
1: suppose. Uh, thanks, Ashanti. Mary Jo, i come to you in a second. I have a specific question about barriers, substance use, and housing. But I want to stay with you, Ashanti, because you said some really important things that I want to just dive a little bit, uh, deeper in here. Because these are some take, take home items that people listening, you know, they want to take that initiative. And we've talked about already. And, um, Mary Jo, it's, you know, sometimes we get complacent. We live those assumptions that we have and we don't take that, that healthy risk. And you were saying, you know, help create that healthy space to, to have that dialogue, to take that healthy risk, and the other thing I want to ask you too is, uh, from your experience, you know, uh, and from mine, growing up in, in Detroit and also, you know, urban and working with tribal, tribal nations, is that it's kind of an uphill battle uh, for folks, both on both sides, for tribe, tribal folks and and non-tribal folks. It's because the the system, the education system, various systems, they don't have the histories there. You know, it, the stories are not there. Um, so it takes a lot of initiative for people to learn that and gather that if you're not exposed to it. Um, so I, I really I want you to just elaborate a little bit on, you, you said it, take the time to listen and, uh, you know, take the initiative to learn. Um, from your perspective, is that one of the most critical aspects when you think about someone who's non-Indigenous is take that initiative and, um, you know, put it on themselves to learn? about the travel folks in their area? Um,
3: Yeah, I think that, you know, today we are doing a lot better than we've done in the past. And we have a lot of our educators in our system who are excited and willing and wanting and pushing to learn about our own land and what what has happened, what has transpired and what has gone through and to not push it under the rug and to not um, just continue putting forth this education piece where Christopher Columbus was the first person here on, on these lands and he discovered America where they're talking about the Indigenous ways and what had happened. And even though we have a very hard hard history, and there's so much historical trauma with the boarding schools and the wars and, you know, the long walk and putting Native people into reservations. Even though our history is so hard, today we have more educators and more people in place that are, are wanting to talk about that. And I think that that's a part of a great big huge healing is when you acknowledge Wrongs, and you don't shut down like, oh, you're not supposed to feel that way, or you're put in shame for for being angry or having um, having a desire to to be heard and to change our history and our history books and to bring light of, of what happened on these lands, you know, and, and today I see a lot of educators be like, this is the, this is what happened and this is where we are now. And this is how we bring balance into, into today. And that is, is, really what it is, is that we're not dwelling, but we're acknowledging and we're inviting a space for healing and we're bringing balance of that healing. So we're bringing our culture back in, we're bringing the respect for our culture back in, we're bringing the light and the love back to our people, you know, and and we're acknowledging that the hurt is there and we're, you know, being able to push forward. And it, that, that to me is, is really a big part of, letting go of this historical trauma, not because we need to, not because it hasn't been done, but because that brings the healing and it brings a healing force to our community where, where we can then draw from the roots of healed people and we can walk forward knowing who we are and what our history is and having everybody else know what our history is. And then it can't be swept under the rug any longer.
1: Yeah, thanks, Shanti. I know we're getting short on time here, Mary Jo. I'm going to turn to you, and I, I appreciate uh, those words, Shanti. We're, we're looking at uh, the, you know, breaking down the myth that Indigenous and non-Indigenous groups can't work together to solve social problems. One of the ways that we got to track the breaking down this myth is we do have to understand what barriers exist out there, and not sugarcoat those things. So Mary Jo, from your perspective, you know what are some barriers between indigenous and non-indigenous groups when it comes specifically to substance uh, misuse and, and and housing situations?
2: Um, I, I think I think we aren't we aren't meeting or talking enough together, um, and I think that um, you know it it's a conversation that actually I believe is starting to resurface again um, the last couple years is um, being more conscious of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when we're doing that, you know, and, and again, what, it, what you said is, you know, we can talk about it and raise awareness, but then what do we do as actionable items? And I think um, in the communities where we are talking about, you know, homelessness and mental health and substance use, is we need to have all uh, the leaders who are willing to represent people um, and what's going on in, in, uh, in each of our cultural communities discuss it together because substance use is, um, is, is, you know, is well, I would say addiction, substance use disorders, it's an illness that's affecting um, our communities. And in order to find the healing and the solution, we need to all be talking about it together. Um, uh, again, it's, it is a humanity issue, right? And so um, people – so we may not have solutions alone. As a non-Indigenous person, I don't know what uh, other possible healing um, and uh, solution-based actions I can take. And so if I meet with more people who I have more information, I can ask more questions, we can come up with more uh, opportunities and options um to 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 problem solve and uh i think it's going to take um considerable effort to make sure we keep meeting i think because if we stop making you know stop sending the emails stop making the calls stop reaching out um we just go back to status quo which is kind of this passivity so we have to not be passive so again when somebody asks who else do we need at the table i might have to bring up eight people <laughs> Because it's different cultural, you know, cultures that we need at the table to solve this problem. Um, and, and, and the same with, you know, we're not just addressing substance use. It might be harm reduction. It could be, um, uh, it, like you said, it's homelessness. And, again, um, it, it might be, well, who's the majority? And it's like, well, it's the individual that we need to, you know, one individual, two individuals, three individuals. We start healing it a person at a time.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mary Jo. No one has a monopoly on the solutions. We need all the voices at the table, so I appreciate um, you sharing that. Uh, Tom, we're getting short on time here, but I think we can sneak in a few more questions, so I'll I'll pass it to you and see if if we can do that.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll uh, just turn to uh, maybe have uh, time for one question, one response, so I'll turn to maybe Ashanti for the last word here. Uh, What would you say uh, that we can do as members of society to encourage collaboration? what would your advice be to just briefly?
2: Um, I think
3: my advice would be that there, there's a lot of shame in our history and there is a lot of, um, guilt I guess would be. And there is also a lot of like, well that wasn't me and that wasn't my family. And that wasn't, you know, that's not who I am. Um, in our communities, when we're talking about our histories. And I and I really believe that if we can move from that wasn't me to, yeah, like, let's talk about this and just kind of putting down those walls and letting people vent or letting our voices be heard in this acknowledgement that we could turn that shame into guilt and then turn it into problem solving and moving forward and more of a collaboration and I think that that is one of the things that today is we we know I know that it wasn't you and I know that it wasn't your grandpa but not so long ago these things happened and Our voices, you know, not of anger. Of course, there is going to be some anger, and everybody moves through that differently, but our voices and our history have a place here, and that that is what I'm looking for. It's like our history also has a place at this table to be heard and discussed and talked about so that our shame could be let go and we have a chance to move forward
0: and grow. Well, a good place to end the program. Much more could be said, but I think it's been a good discussion. Uh, so we thank um, Ashanti Moritz, uh, who is with uh, Warrior Spirit, uh, with the uh, Skull Valley uh, Band of Ghost So uh, Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Uh, Mary Jo McMillan uh, with uh, USARA, the uh, Utah Support Advocates uh, for uh, Recovery Awareness, has joined us. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Tom and Don,
0: and Asante. And uh, Don Lyons, the, the host of the podcast. Thanks. It's great to talk to you again.
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. Great discussion, and uh, thank you for our two hosts.
0: And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. You've been listening to Debunked, a live episode of the, the podcast, and appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for listening. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSU-FM, Logan.